Hello, I'm Philip Carter. It's been a while, but I'm trying to post more stuff that's high quality, so that means there's less uploads. Anyway, I've got a Substack now. It's called realphilipcarter.substack.com, and here's a short story from it, from my upcoming book, Seven Stories About Time Travel. It's called Tardigrade, or The Professor and the Tardigrade. I can't really decide. On June 28, 2009, Professor Stephen Hawking hosted a party at the University of Cambridge with an exclusive guest list. He was not looking for a particular set of names to invite, but a particular type of person. Only time travellers from the future were allowed to attend. Hawking enforced this rule with one simple trick. He sent out the invites long after the event had happened. Therefore, only people who could learn about the party were people who existed after the event. Anyone existing before the event wouldn't know about it, and anyone who existed afterwards also I've really messed up the recording. I'm going to start again there, but I'm going to actually leave that in. Therefore, the only people who could learn about the party were people who existed after the event. Anyone existing before the event wouldn't know about it, and anyone observing the goings-on inside Cambridge University during the event would be blissfully unaware that one of humankind's smartest, kindest minds was sat quietly in a brightly lit room at that precise moment, waiting with balloons and drinks for travellers from the future. Professor Hawking moved under a banner in the room which read, Welcome time, travellers. Under the table were snacks and champagne. A film crew for the Discovery Channel was taking photos and filming, some of them no doubt half expecting a traveller might actually show up. Everything was going according to plan. The invites were already printed, ready to be shown to the world after the event. You are cordially invited to a reception for time travellers, hosted by Professor Stephen Hawking, to be held at the University of Cambridge, Gonville and Chaos College, Trinity Street, Cambridge, location 52 degrees 12 21 north, 0 degrees 7 4.7 east, time 12 o'clock, and this on the... <laughs> You see, the weird thing is, I've tripped, tripped myself up again there. I'm going to leave this in because on the actual invite, he's put the date. He had the date in the American format. So I was just I was just reading this thinking, there's not 28 months, but it's January, Feb, March, April, May, June. So it's time, 12 o'clock, 28th of June, 2009. No RSVP required. The grandfather clock in the corner ticked its way to 12 o'clock. The door did not budge. There was no knock. Another 10 minutes. No knock. Another ten. Then twenty. Then thirty. The film crew stayed with Professor Hawking, but even fellow professors or curious passers-by who might have caught wind of this secretive party before it was held neglected to show up. The champagne grew warm as the universe tried to balance its energy with the rest of the room. Most of the food went uneaten. The balloons began to deflate, slowly but surely. Professor Hawking had waited over an hour for nothing. Eventually, the human race carried on. This unusual experiment was remembered for a few centuries, but after a while, its memory faded. What Professor Hawking and the film crew didn't know was that a time traveller had indeed arrived, but due to unforeseen circumstances beyond their control, they were rendered incapable of making their existence known. Time holes were hard to maintain. For macroscopic objects to pass through a tremendous amount of energy had to be expended on a time hole. 
One easy way of minimizing the energy requirement was to simply make the hole smaller. It was, after all, a tear in space-time, a wound which required constant energy to maintain. The bigger you made one, the more energy it needed. Conveniently, the largest time hole possible for future humans was only slightly bigger than the tardigrade. And so, in one went. But tardigrades cannot read English, nor can they communicate meaningfully with giant physicists. Even if they could, they make terrible conversation and only ever speak of sex and algae, like that weird vegan poet who works in town and smells suspiciously like fried chicken. So, the tardigrade got an upgrade. It became an upgradigrade. The upgradigrade was treated to a precarious operation that opened up its insides and placed a very small, very sensitive microchip inside its hemocell. That's the bit where its veins, lungs and hearts would be if it needed or indeed wanted any, but it didn't. A tardigrade is small enough to wiggle its nutrients around without those otherwise important transport hubs. It would be an ideal drug mule if it were only a few hundred times bigger. Nutrients get around a tardigrade's anus, stomach, esophagus, nervous system and brain just fine without needing tubes. And yes, those were listed in order of importance. The microchip inside the upgrade grade would absorb and save information about its environment and, if possible, open up a line of communication with a nearby mobile phone so as to text Professor Stephen Hawking or someone else in the room to say, Hello, we manage time travel, but it only works with tiny animals. The upgrade grade was prepared in the future, at the tip of a needle, where an insomniac scientist slash sculptor had crafted it a tiny chair on one of their days off, then ushered the tardigrade gently into a state of cryobiosis like an elderly relative in the winter. It shed 97% of its water, ushering in what might be the worst, tiniest hangover in history. Now entering its ton state, the tiny creature began creating its own antioxidants. This was not a feature of the human-made upgrade. Tardigrades already do this, which makes them perfect candidates for travelling across warped space-time, which is liable to snap and release immense bolts of radiation at any second. The antioxidants, by the way, provide a valuable defence against radiation. The needle with the tardigrade on top was pushed into the tiny hole, and a tiny gust of air, sterilised so as not to flood the year 2009, 2009 with future diseases such as the moon wigglies, was exerted from within. The upgradigrade left the future and began its perilous journey into the past, much like a middle-aged man having a mental breakdown and buying a load of Lego. This journey was not instantaneous. Indeed, another reason it would be impossible for humans to make the trip was because it would take just as many years to get back through time as it took for the past to grow up into the future. As the tardigrade was sent from a date approximately 1,000 years after 2009, we lost a few years due to the wars on Jupiter. A time machine would also need to preserve its human occupants somehow during those 1,000 years, or even go as far as to become a generational starship for an entire tribe of travellers who would probably arrive in the past as inbreds. Simply put, it just wouldn't work. The entirety of what remained of human civilization simply did not have the resources or the energy to open a time hole that large in space. The time part was arduous enough. A tardigrade was a perfect time traveller in every which way. He, this time traveller was a male, not that it's relevant, could survive the intense and immense radiation storms of backward-leaning, bendy space-time. He could fit on the tip of a needle small enough to enter the tiny time hole. He could freeze up and dry up and survive centuries without nutrients. This part is actually untested, but one had previously lasted a few decades in outer space in the 2100s, 
so it was worth believing, especially since this tardigrade was a direct descendant. And lastly, he could come back to life with as little as a few molecules of water or champagne if he landed right and Professor Hawking wasn't in the way of his trajectory. And so the years began to pass, forward and backward and forward again. The human race of 2009 grew into the human race of 3,000-something. The upgrade grade fell through time in the direction of a long way yesterday, each day taking exactly a day to pass. To him, it hardly would have felt like time travel at all. He would almost die and come to life again at the other end of a strange and incomprehensible journey. For the upgrade grade tardigrade did not know nor care about his mission. All he knew was that he was hungry and wanted to eat and have sex and sleep. In this way, he was perhaps more human than whatever weird freaks he had left behind in the future. But we aren't talking about the future mutants today. We shall leave them behind in the future, where they belong. The upgrade grade awoke inside a droplet of champagne from a recently opened bottle. He exited his tun state gleefully, mooching around inside the droplet for a female. Too small to be drunk, the tardigrade instead poured around in a sloppy stupor simply because that was how he decided to live his life, and who are we to judge? The radiation from the time hole quickly eroded the thing, and it vanished, not that anyone would have noticed, as it was tiny. Next, the small droplet of champagne arced toward the edge of Professor Hawking's wheelchair. The upgrade-grade tardigrade spiralled downward in his boozy starship. Both tardigrade and kindly human genius were blissfully unaware of each other's presence. The droplet landed, barely missing the professor's suit. At this particular moment, the upgrade grade was thinking about eating a nice bit of algae. He crawled sluggishly out of the remains of the droplet, operating now under the instruction in the microchip in his hemocell, in the same way you might operate under the instruction of the robot crabs that live in your bones. If there were robot crabs in your bones, which there aren't, you can trust me on that. I haven't put robot crabs in your bones. The little upgrade-grade tardigrade scurried, from his perspective, into a patch of air from which he could begin his broadcast. From here, he might have seen the words on the banner in the room, the time on the grandfather clock, or the ingredients on the side of a champagne bottle. But he didn't, because he couldn't read. The microchip began its tiny broadcast, looking for mobile phones in the room, but it didn't find one. Something must have been blocking the system. The scientists had prepared for the radiation from the collapsing time hole itself, but not for any spikes generated in the local area, or indeed a closure of local phone networks. Perhaps it was the architecture of the building, a heavy cloud, or a particularly disgruntled anti-paradox tardigrade crew in black suits and sunglasses sent back from the future. But something, something was stopping the upgrade grade from communicating. But it was fine for the tardigrade. Yes, he had no idea what he was what was going on anyway. He didn't care. He was hungry and horny. The microchip kept pushing on with its signal, but nothing useful happened. Later, the upgrade grade tardigrade would stumble upon a female of his species in the air and attempt to procreate with her, engaging in tiny foreplay and watching as she seductively detached her previous skin layer between which and her new skin should place her eggs. At this point, the two tardigrades would get close and he would ejaculate onto the eggs. Later, they would fall asleep together. He would smoke a tiny but imaginary tardigrade cigarette, and she would think about the last man she had round. Later still, when our time-travelling upgrade-grade friend had left without leaving his details, the female tardigrade would discover that his sperm was worthless. His genetic material would die with him, just as the scientists intended before they sent him on his way.
He lived a happy life, going around pretending to reproduce with strange women from the uncivilized past of tardigrade culture. Because tardigrades develop a culture in about a thousand years or so. They just don't tell humans about it because... Why would they? They're basically weird-shaped planetoids that speak so loudly, we shake the very viscous atmosphere around the tardigrades, even when we whisper. We are cosmic horrors, freakish, endless things which lollop around and stage horrid alien abductions of tardigrades, only to stick strange machines in them and throw them through irradiated time holes. Our hearts are so large that they could build cities inside them. Even if they could speak to us, they'd be too fucking scared. Anyway, the party carried on, without the little tardigrade time traveller, and the universe carried on too. Meanwhile, outside Gunville and Chaos College in Cambridge, which I probably pronounced wrong, various shapes and styles and sizes of time travellers appeared and disappeared, each with differing opinions on whether or not they should intervene with this party at all, each erasing the last from space-time before being erased themselves for the next or the previous, or the adjacent traveller. It gets complicated. Travellers and anti-travellers smashed into each other outside. Time machines warred in private psychic battles with ancient artificial minds. A man was beaten half to death in a nearby toilet just because he looked like a time traveller, but he was just wearing silly shoes. Unbeknown, unknown gods and horrors were unleashed. Laser beams streaked across the skies. The sun was extinguished and relit, and nobody noticed because it all happened so quickly that it could barely have been said to have happened at all. And then you read this story and heard all about it, which is a shame, because people aren't supposed to know. You had a good life. And that is the end of that. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed writing it. As I was reading that out, I've spotted a few things that do need fixing. There's a few pacing issues. Sometimes it's not entirely obvious what's going on. But that's the very first draft, so that's what my first drafts look like. I hope you enjoyed it, and you're probably listening to this on Substack. I wanted to say again, thanks for being there. It's nice to have an actual, like, tangible audience out there of people I can send free stuff to, and maybe sometimes stuff you have to pay for, such as the entire rest of that book, uh, which will be on Kickstarter at some point. It's going to be like the Earthloop Kickstarter, but cheaper and pretty much guaranteed to happen because I've already written most of it. The majority of the Kickstarter money is going to be spent on actually getting the perks sorted out and editing the thing and potentially getting somebody to redesign the cover, but I like the one we've got at the moment. Marketing is probably also a good idea. Anyway, I'll see you in the next one.